Hey folks, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast. Our next guest, Steve Gerard, is a veteran battlefield tour guide and a veteran, period. Let me read out Steve's resume and historian background. It's really quite something. Stephen C. Gerard is a retired United States Army Staff Sergeant of Infantry and a field historical officer for both the United States Army and the Marine Corps from 1987 through 2011. Steve has been awarded the Bronze Star Medal with V for Valor, Meritorious Service Medal, Air Medal, Army and Navy Commendation Medal with V for Valor, Army and Navy Meritorious Public Service Medal, Combat Infantryman's Badge, Army Air Crewman Badge, Army Parachutist Badge, Air Assault Badge. Steve is a combat veteran of Operation Desert Shield slash Desert Storm from 1990 through 1991, Operation Joint Endeavor, Joint Guard, Joint Forge, Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom with two tours there. Steve has also earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in History from the University of Maryland. And Steve has been the Unit Historical Officer Historian for the 2nd Infantry Division, 4th Infantry Division Maneuver, 10th Mountain Division Light, 101st Airborne Division Air Assault, 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment, 5th and 6th Marine Regiments. Steve is also a World War I American Expeditionary Forces Historian and Archivist. He's also the archivist, historian, and researcher for the 4th Brigade, Marine, and 2nd Division, AEF, beginning in 1978 and continuing through the present day. Steve has also been a special historical consultant for World War I to the History Division, Marine Corps, in Quantico, Virginia. He is also the World War I 4th Brigade, Marine, 2nd Division, AEF historian and researcher for various military historians and authors including Mr. George B. Clark, Mr. Kevin Selden, Mr. James Gregory, who was on this podcast last autumn with the Other 16 article, Lieutenant Colonel Pete Owen, United States Marine Corps, retired, Lieutenant Colonel John Swift, United States Marine Corps, retired, and retired Lieutenant Colonel Walt Ford, United States Marine Corps, also a Mr. Mike Miller. Please join us for a talk with Steve on his time as a battlefield tour guide and for some background on the Battle of Blancmont Ridge in October of 1918. Hope you enjoy. Hey folks, so I'm here with Steve and I'm so excited to have him here with us. He has literally, and I mean literally, been studying the U.S. Army's 2nd Division and it's World War One Marine 4th Brigade as long as I've been alive. I'm not even kidding. I'm really thankful that he's taking some time out on this Sunday afternoon to spend with the Battles of the First World War podcast. Uh, Steve, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Uh, so um, you're going to get a short introduction when the episode opens up. Um, you know, but but it's short. So uh, tell us a little bit more about about you yourself and, and your background, Steve. Well, uh, for me, I was born and raised in California. I was born in San Diego, and uh, I come from a very very deep military family. Uh, most of my family either been retired from the Army or the Marine Corps uh, since probably 
the 1890s and wow. uh, my uh my father's retired my well, actually my late father's retired from the army my grandfather great-grandfather uh, i have you know uncles that were in the marine corps uh my father like i said my father's unique because he was enlisted in the marines did two tours in vietnam uh there from 64 to 66 with the uh third marine division first and uh, the first marine division second and after that uh he um enlisted in the army and uh retired as a master sergeant from there then uh i followed in the uh family's quote unquote traditions or footsteps you might say and i enlisted in uh 1987 and i went into the infantry and uh i was one of those very very smart kids growing up where yep. uh Everybody would, you know, go off in the sandbox and, you know, play around the playground where me, I was in a library. To me, a library oh, wow. was a sanctuary. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, when I was younger, I used to actually take home encyclopedias and read them. And um, I think probably, I actually, probably about maybe 10 or, 10 or 12 years old, I had, a, I had an IQ like you wouldn't believe, but I was lazy. So, but uh, <laughs> history's always been uh, very, very passionate with me. And um, uh, like I said, uh, it's uh, very, very, very deep inside my, fa in my, my family roots. And like I said, it's coming from a military background on both my mother and my father's side of the family. So I had a lot to live up to. So, wow. and when I enlisted in the army, um, you know, went in the infantry, went, went to Fort Benning and all that. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my my senior NCOs and officers like well, you know this this kid's got a IQ, and uh, one of them was like, "How would you like to you know to be our um, battalion historian?" Wow! So and that started off, and um, I ended up being besides my regular duties as you know being you know in you know in the infantry, but I was also battalion historian. And it culminated into where I was working uh, in divisional museums. Uh, I was picked to go to the uh, 50th anniversary of the Normandy D-Day landings in 94. I represented oh, wow. the 4th Infantry Division there. Uh, uh, what else? I, uh, when I was stationed in Germany, um, I used to do uh, staff rides out there. And I was selected to take the commanding general of the United States Army Europe. Uh, Eric Shinseki out to the World War One battlefields, and we were out there for probably about a week. And yet, oh, General wow. Shinseki actually uh, enjoyed that. So we were wow. at Charlottesville Mill, uh, you know, uh, Hill Two Two Three at Chateau Cherie, Bellawood, Blancmont, uh, Cantony. So that area of France, I know very, very well. So wow, wow. I met, I met. Um, well. I didn't meet General Shinseki. I, I, he came to our, they called it, I don't know if they still call it this, but they called it PLDC back then. And uh, yes. he, he came to ours and, and, and spoke there. And I, he was, I was so really impressed by him and, and especially how he, how he remembered NCOs. So um, like a, a little off topic, but he was pretty. Well, pretty and, and, and it goes back to, and, and like I said, I, I retired from active duty, but during, during that time, um, I have connections on both sides. Uh, matter of fact, like the Army Chief of Staff, General uh, General Milley, I was actually mm -hmm. his brigade and division historian. 
the whole oh, wow. You know General Milley? Yes, I know General Mark Milley. Yes, I do. <laughs> so, uh, matter of fact, he's the one that uh, wrote my uh, Meritorious Service Medal uh, as a historian. So I actually wow. had that at the end of the historical officer. Wow. So uh, then dealing with the second division, that's it. I'm uh, very deep into that. And I've been doing that since 1978. And um, I think very, my archives are unbelievable. Uh, James Gregory, who I work with, mm -hmm. uh, when we were doing some stuff on the other 16, he came up and uh, he couldn't believe some of the stuff that I have. You know, and my uh, Dan, it's unbelievable. He was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, photographs, documents, you know, stuff like that. I've got stuff going all the way back. Like I said I've been doing this in '78, and I work with some of the best that's out there. I work with the late George Clark. Mm -hmm. uh, I work with Pete Owens, uh, John Swift, uh, Bill Anderson, Bill Cody, uh, Colonel Walt Ford. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, we have a brigade page on Facebook dedicated to uh, the 4th Brigade of the 2nd Division in France. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> descendants. I know General Shepard's family. I know General Kate's family, wow. uh, uh, General Catlin's family. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, And I also work uh, with History Division Marine Corps. And... Um, so anything that they have dealing fourth brigade wise, if if there's something that they don't know, they'll actually call me and say, hey, Steve, what do you, you know, can you help us with that? No big deal. So that's, and, so, that's so cool. <laughs> the, the Marines, so the, the US Marine Corps, when they want to know about their own history, like they they call an, an ex army guy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, yeah. And um awesome. Well, and the thing is it's like I and it, it's paid off in dividends because I've been decorated, I've been uh, well, not de decorated, but I've been um, recognized by both the Army and the Marine Corps um, for all my historical work, particularly World War One. World, World War One is my passion, and yeah. like I said, dealing with you know, I've been uh, recognized and awarded by by both the Army and the Marine Corps. Um, I even have uh, the title of honorary Marine. Um, matter of fact, when we were in Afghanistan, uh, General James Jones, who was the Commandant of the Marine Corps actually pinned on my globe and anchor so i actually have that wow wow that's on that's so cool that's amazing that's really amazing awesome so now you so you you have led these staff rides um like, like you you talked about earlier like while you're still in the military and now oh, yes. you 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 work as a as a battlefield tour guide as well correct yes i work with uh military historical tours out of woodbridge virginia okay um, I and I work uh, my my tour leaders, uh, Mr. James White and his father is Colonel Bill White, U.S. Marine Corps retired. And, okay. Um, and we we do tours uh, for World War One, um, and um, we've been doing that for about two years now. And I got interviewed by um, James White. And uh, Mr. Jamie Weeham, whose father uh, is the um, the president for uh, MHT, okay. and I was interviewed, and uh, uh, Colonel White uh, had me in. It was it, this is the funny part. This really did happen. So Colonel White wanted to, wanted to test my knowledge, and uh, 
and all he did was he had uh, four or five of the ABMC maps for the second division. Yeah. And there was no notes, no books, no nothing. And it was basically a murder board. And we, what, what <laughs> was is so he laid the map out and he said, okay, all right, kiddo, tell, I want you to tell me from start to finish on how this battle progressed from, from the very beginning to the very end. And wow. it, it, we, I was in there for hours. And, wow. uh, and James was standing there and it's like, hey, <laughs> you know, this guy knows his stuff. And that's how I got on. And uh, it, it's one of the best things I could ever have happen. Uh, I'm very fortunate to work with him. They are some of the best people uh, I could be with. Uh, like you said, with James uh, and Casey Lee, who's our uh, interpreter uh, when we go out. And um, so we were there for the 100th anniversary in 2018. We were there after twice uh, oh. for the... Uh, for the actual anniversary of the battle at Bella Wood. And we went back again in November of 18 for the end of the armistice. Oh, that's so awesome. That, there was that, the, 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 the best tour that we did was November. And it was absolutely the best. And that, that'll go down in, in, in memory because uh, we were there. To say that you were there during, during the armistice, you know, it, it, celebrations, it was peaceful it, I mean, the weather was cooperative yeah and it, it, it's some of the best you, you could ever ask for so i said there's there are great people a bunch of people to work with oh that's wonderful i hope uh for for for, for my own sake here i hope rob laplander is not listening um in case he decides <laughs> to like re rework our agreement and start testing me on <laughs> on on some with with some maps and stuff, because otherwise, well, hey, yeah. but Mike, hey, uh, Robert <laughs> is a, and I work with Robert too. Robert is how I am with with the Fourth Brigade and the Second Division. How Robert is with uh, Charles Whittlesey and the Lost Battalion. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and that we actually do go out there as well. Um, we uh, when we're on tour, we go to Charleville Mill. We'll go to yep. we've been, we've been to Chateau Cherie. Uh, we go out to Verdun. Uh, yeah. That's James White's favorite area is Verdun. That, that's his baby. Yeah. Uh, uh, where else? We, you know, of course, Bella Wood. Uh, now, had the pandemic not hit, we were, we were slated to go back this uh, May, but we couldn't. And one of the yeah. things that we actually added on was the Lafayette Escadrille uh, Memorial Ooh. there in uh, Paris. Yes. And that's yeah. that's one of James White's uh, uh, favorite spots to go to. So, yeah, that, but of course the pandemic hit and just basically threw everything out the window. So, yeah. Uh, but next year, I, yeah. Like I said, with, with Robert and, and with you and Randy Galky and a couple yeah. others that, that we know, uh, <laughs> we're all stuck in a holy pattern right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, our, our own, uh, our own tour, uh, for the summer was canceled, unfortunately, but we're hoping to, um, uh, we're, we're thinking of doing two next year to, to make yeah. up for it. So, so we'll, we'll, so we're, I, we're, I, we're, yeah, we're slated as well, Mike. Um, yeah. we're, we're hoping, um, sometime in May, you know, uh, depending on how the virus and the travel restrictions yeah. are getting into Europe, that that's going to play, you know, big factor in getting back over there yeah yeah 
hopefully so keeping my fingers crossed for 2021 and and uh hopefully we'll we'll cross paths so that'll be that would be super cool it happens matter of fact um when we were out in november one of my uh dearest and uh esteemed uh world war one uh brigade historian is that's Gilles loren Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gilles is, I've known Gilles for, for a long time and he's one of the very best that's out there. And, um, we were coming out, we were, we were at, at, uh, uh, we were at Ainmorn and we were going out towards, um, Boresh. And this, this is a funny story. And we were on the bus and we see this white vehicle come up and they're coming towards us. And James and I are looking, you know, through the, through the window and mm-hmm. it's like it can't be yeah it's heels so <laughs> yeah it, so it, it don't don't laugh mike because you know our, it will happen you know that's cool it that's doesn't cool. because it does <laughs> that's super cool um so as in your in your time as a uh uh tour guide a battlefield tour guide like what like what have you like god this is kind of a uh, strange question, I guess the way I word it, like, like, what have you learned? Like what, I guess more, the question is more like, like what experience do you want your guests to have when you take them out there and you put them in like Bella Wood or you put them in Baresh? Like what, what do you want them to, to walk away with? You, you want them to, you want them to get the experience of what these soldiers and Marines had gone through. You know, they're, these guys were, you know, a thousand miles away from home. They're in a foreign land that they don't really don't know anything about except what they were yep. taught in school, you know. And as a as a as a combat infantry myself, and I know I've been in their shoes and I understand what they went through. You know, you're going into the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen. And you know, when you're out there with the with, with the with the patrons and you're telling the narrative, and you under you know you you. You try to get the, to understand to them, say, okay, here's here's the situation where these guys are at. This is about what's ready to go down, and this is exactly what happened. And then they, they, they get a better understanding. It's like, oh, my God, you know, I didn't know. Especially with, with um, what really – the ones that, you, that really take it away from is uh, we actually have descendants that come out there on tour with us. Mm-hmm. And, an example where uh, in November of 18, um, I had a uh, very nice lady. Um, her father was in the 354th Infantry of the 89th Division. Okay, and yeah. we were at Saw Me Hell uh, Cemetery out by Tia Corps, mm-hmm. and a uh, beautiful day. I mean, absolutely beautiful. I mean, you could. It was so clear, Mike, that you could look across the uh, woven plane there, and you could actually see Montsec off in the oh, distance. Wow! It was that wow. beautiful and clear. So I'm talking with her, and uh, we went to the very edge of of the cemetery there. And I think you know what I'm talking about. There's that brick wall, and um, right in the back, and and then you had the the uh, the cultivated fields there. And I was telling her, you know, this is the exact area where your father had gone through when he was doing his advance that day. As a matter of fact, that's exactly where his unit was at in his battalion. And she started crying. 
Wow. And uh, it, it really hit home for her. You know, I told her this. It's like, yeah, this is exactly what the situation was on that particular day, in that particular hour, and we're, they're, they're advancing. And wow. it, it finally, it, it, it hit home to her. And she, she was in tears. And, and that's what you want to do with the patron. So they understand a little bit more and a little bit better on what World War One to the Americans is about. Yeah, yeah. So imagine that, like, like you, you're bringing, you're literally bringing people uh, who's who, you know, showing this woman like where your your dad went through here. That's that's pretty. That's really amazing. That's yeah. really amazing. Now, what? Um, so you you've been interested in World War One for a while. Um, oh, yeah. What? What got you interested? Like, it's usually a question that I get is uh, too. It's like, like, why World War One? And and uh, and and for you, Steve, like, um, when did you begin to focus on like the 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 Fourth Brigade Second oh, Division experience? That goes back. That goes back to when I was a child, and um, my father um, always talked about his great uncle which was is my great great uncle which is uh corporal john francis gerard um he was in the 17th company which is the a company uh first battalion fifth marines and okay, he was there from uh from bella wood all the way to the mers argon and uh he got gassed outside of bainville uh early wow. on the morning of uh november 4th and he got evacuated out so wow he didn't make it up to the crossing of the Merce River on the night of uh, the 10th and 11th. And had he been there, he probably either would have been killed or wounded. Wow. And uh, on my mother's side of the family, uh, my great-grandfather is 2nd Lieutenant Colwell C. Robinson. And uh, he was a platoon commander with the 82nd Company, which is I Company, uh, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marine Regiment. And, oh, wow. Uh, he was a uh, very handsome young man, uh, college at Stanford and UConn. Uh, when the war broke out, he uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps and uh, got a regular commission. And then uh, was at Quantico and uh, got shipped off to France with, with an initial push. And my great-grandfather is when the division was formed at Beaumont in October of 1917, Mm -hmm. He's literally a founding member of the division. So the second infantry division is actually kind of embedded in my DNA. Wow. And, um, so he was at Verdun up in uh, Toulon sector. <clears throat> then um, afterwards, um, they got ready for to go. Uh, originally, they're going to go up to relieve the first division at Cantony. Then that's when the um, Germans were making their drive to Paris and plans got changed and they were going off to Bellwood and um, he was killed in action uh, on the evening of uh, June 6, 1918 oh. uh, just outside of Hill 181 and oh, wow. uh, there, him and a sergeant by the name of Andy Axton uh, took out um, a couple of machine gun nests and he was killed, both him and Andy were killed but my uh, Great grandfather. I actually have a Navy Cross, Distinguished Service Cross, Silver Star, and Purple Heart uh, from him and my family. Wow. So, wow. yeah. And so, Bella Wood, I actually have family that was there from, from the very beginning of the fighting. 
still in uh, June of 18, all the way to the very end in November of 18 as well. So I've been, I've have to live, I've been living up with that for for years, and wow. you know that's really piqued my interest. And I started way early as a kid, going in there, you know, reading books, you know, um, you know, going picking up newspaper clippings, and um, stuff like that. And and that's why I started really consuming, you know, the knowledge, you know, going in, getting getting photographs. You know, from either state colleges, state archives. Um, actually, probably, I never forgot this. I actually wrote to the National Archives when I was probably about eight or nine years old. Oh my and God. for information. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And so uh, that's really started it off right there. And it's been, even though I went to the Army side of things, um, with, with, the, with the Marine Corps side of it, that's, my heritage as yeah. well. Wow. And so I've been very, so like I said, I, you know, like I said, I have, um, you know, tons and tons of, um, you know, documentation. Um, matter of fact, uh, what was it? I actually have the, the complete 20 volume set, both army and German records of the second division, which wow. came out in about 1924, 25. And there's only a handful of us on the planet that actually have that. I know wow. Shields has got a set out where he's at. I've got a set and uh, a couple other things. So, but yeah, that that's where it all started. Wow. Now, um, to kind of go go off track, like like these these books, like this this set of history books, like how do, how do you even go about finding these things and then? How do you go about like getting your hands on them? Like, how? It's years, it's years and years. Mike, it's years and years, man. I'm telling you, because it, it's a, it's always a learning learning process. Yeah, um, you uh, either know people in the historical field or people that know you and say, "Hey, Steve, hey, you know, hey, I got something that you may be interested." In. What is it? And for me, it's not it. You know, like with collectors. They're, they're into the material things, you know, the metals, the uniforms, the helmets, stuff like that. Yeah. That's great. It, you know, and they, they do a service on their side of things. For yep. me, it's the documentation and photographs because that's what counts most of all. Because the more that you, you have in your, your archives, you can go back in there and, you know, check things. <clears throat> Once you start to, to know people and they know yeah. you, like, like give an example, like, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Pete Owens. Uh, I've known Pete for a long time. And Pete is one of the, one of the best um, historians that's out there. And, I mean, he wrote um, To the Limit of Endurance, uh, which tells the story of 2nd Battalion, 6th Marines, when they were formed at Quantico all the way to France and home again. And he did the uh, uh, story on Don Paris, who was in the 79th Company. Okay. And uh, Pete, uh, he calls me his brain trust. And, That's awesome. uh, <laughs> it is. It's funny because it's like if something comes up, it's like he'll call me or text me. And, you know, and he knows I am his, his wealth of info. And um, uh, Kevin Selden, uh, one of my best and dearest cohorts in crime. Uh, <laughs> Kevin is by far one of the best historians on the Battle of Bellowood. 
around. Okay. And he's just got his new book series out now. It's called to, uh, Among the Ranks of the Carrying Men. Uh, it's a two-volume set right now. Um, he's taking a little hiatus right now, and he's going to go back into work on, on three. And I've been wow. working with Kevin on that for a couple of years, and um, he deserves all the accolades he he's done for that that book series. I mean, when George, <clears throat> like I said I worked with George Clark for many years, and yep. um, uh, when George passed, Kevin became that torchbearer of the battle. And and like I said I I know a lot about the battle, but Kevin. Uh, really is into the nuts and bolts of it, where George, in his book, Devil Dogs, he, he, he gives a, you know, a narrative to the reader for that particular you know, part of the, of the battle. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, the best way I can compare it, Mike, is George did the longest day version of Bella Wood, where Kevin did the Saving Private Ryan, where he's down into, uh, with these guys, you know, went through day yeah day yeah and he's yep. one of the best that's out there and um i said i work, work with him you know with him uh i who else um john swift uh okay. john's getting ready to come out uh with the monograph on swa songs that's getting ready to crank out here pretty soon too Ooh. uh james gregory uh who is up and coming and he is by far, soon to be my protege when I ever leave this earth. Uh, <laughs> but James is very, very knowledgeable, and um, he has his two books out, um, yep. you know, with Otis Joslin. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, we're getting ready to uh, crank out the uh, a new book. Uh, it's the memoirs of James Require Sellers. It's called Sailor Gear. Oh, and, okay. Um, and I actually know uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Captain Sellers' uh, grandson, uh, oh, wow. uh, Bill Sellers, and um, we have—I have his memoirs. And so what we did is we uh, took the took the memoirs, and you know we we scrubbed it. You know we're going to spruce it up, and we're going to add photographs to it, and it, we should be able to get it out here probably in the spring or this time next year. It'll be wow, out. Great. So. great. Wow. Excellent. All right. Cool. Um, on, on in France, what is, what is one place where you always bring your guests like without fail? Blancmont. Blancmont. Wow. Okay. Blancmont Ridge. All right. Wow. So that's a place that, um, probably not of, not a lot of, uh, probably not a lot of Americans, probably not a lot of people, uh, even know about. Um, and that was part of the, um, the, the reason for our talk here this afternoon, um, is that the next battle, uh, the next engagement that I'll be covering on the, uh, in the narrative side of the podcast is going to be Blankmont. Um, right. but seeing as, as you know about it, we can, we can talk a little bit about it now. So, um, this okay so we've got blancmont ridge it's in the champagne region of france um so in the territory of the uh in the sector of the french fourth army under uh general henri Gouraud. um mm -hmm. so this is one of the battles of the fourth marine brigade also of the the larger second division the american second division um right. now why so 
I mean, for guys like you and me, like, of course, like every battle is important. Every battle should be remembered, like simply for its own sake. But uh, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to ask these kind of silly questions. Like, why is this battle important and why should it be remembered? Well, it's, it's important because it, it, it does play into the overall scheme of the MERS Argonne Offensive, but then again, it doesn't. It's a, it was a sideshow to the MERS Argonne. Yep. And also, it should be why it should be remembered is because you had five Medal of Honors that were awarded to soldiers and Marines that fought there. But yet nobody knows anything about what they did that earned that award. Yep. And it was a it was a hard fought bloodbath. And literally the second division threw itself against that you know position, you know, the Montmont Massif, yep. along with the thirty sixth, you know, the seventy first brigade of the thirty sixth division as well and they have every accolade going to them also when they threw themselves uh against german defenders at something and um that part of the battle never gets talked about and um that's why i'm glad you're you're, you're finally getting to touch you know a story on a battle that's never really been discussed and and for those guys that were there, both the 2nd and the 36th Division, their time and their story needs to be told. Yeah, agreed. Now, the so um, I ran out of time on in back in 2018, in August 2018, when I was in France. Um, I wanted to make it out there to, to Blanc Mont, but it was something I had to unfortunately scrub off the list. Um, but, like... I've only so I've I've only like looked at the ground as best as I can through like through Google Maps on the on the street view. Um, so that it's so it's a, it's a massif. So it's a it's a group of hills. Um, yes. But it's but it's um, typically like it's pretty much like in the in the middle of pretty rolling farmland. If if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, like can you describe the ground for us a little bit? Yeah, it's, that, I'm glad to bring that up because th this is one of the things that people need to understand that it's also happened in, at Bellwood, in that area up in there. Um, with that particular area around Saint P going towards Saint Pien, 1918, uh, from the Massif going towards Saint Pien, it's actually, it was lightly wooded pine trees. Okay. Yeah, and it looks totally, totally different um, oh, what it does now. And um, the area, um, to give an example, when you come off the D nine seven seven highway, yep. and you go through Song um, P, which is my, my, I love that little town. It, it, uh, it's very quaint. It's my one of my favorite towns besides Rens. Mm -hmm. uh, then you go up through on the D uh, three twenty. And you go up to the jump off line. There's a boulder, uh, boulder marker uh, to the uh, left side. You can't miss it. And um, that area is in. Um, there's a photograph that I sent you. Yeah, it's flat. That's that area is exactly as it was uh, in 1918. Yeah. And wow. As a matter of fact, 
from where the boulder marker is, if you look off to the left, there's a sugar beet field uh, in that area. You can actually mm -hmm. see the remnants of uh, the essence hook. It's still oh, there. It's wow. the ground. It, yeah, it's it's got a very distinct color on the ground. You can't miss it. Wow. And um, so uh, once you go from the jump off line and you go north on the uh, D320 and you go up to some American Monument uh, and you park there in the parking lot, that area that is preserved. They, 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 I'm glad American Battle Monuments got the area when they did that particular mm -hmm. area because uh, that area is actually uh, maintained by uh, uh, Mers Argonne uh, American Cemetery. And that's okay, under yep. Mr. Bruce Malone's uh, supervision. And yes. that area that area is preserved as a, exactly what it looked like during the battle. That's the old that if you see that area with the pine tree, that's exactly what it looked like. Now everything from the there's a turn circle going down the hill and you'll still you'll, you'll see it. And but from there all the way going towards Sunkian, it's all flat. They they cultivated, they took all everything's gone. So it mm -hmm. does, doesn't look as it did in 1918. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's lightly, lightly wooded. And there's actually, there were hills there. Uh, there was two prominent uh, uh, positions that the Germans had, uh, which the, the first one is actually on, it's the D, D320. But once you pass the uh, American Monument, it actually becomes the D23 Highway. Going okay. towards Sultan, and there was a uh, promontory hill position called Lubit Rukin. That okay. was there. That's no longer there anymore. Okay. And to, uh, if you're looking at Sultan, because you actually see Sultan uh, from Blockmont. And um, from if you're looking at Sultan, if you go to the right, mm -hmm. uh, probably about a half mile or three quarters of a mile out, there was yep. another promontory position called uh, the. Uh, Blood Knots yeah, Hill. That's okay. no longer gone. All right, that's no longer there. It's all gone now. So it's all, oh. that, after the war, you know, the French went back in there and they reclaimed the land and, and the farmers went in there and they plowed it, everything. So yeah. everything's all gone as to what it looked like. So um, one of the other areas that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get talked about as well, uh, it's just about three miles south of uh, uh, St. Pete. And that's Navron Farm. Okay, yep. Um, yeah, Navron Farm. Um, when we're on tour, when we go to Blockman, that's the first place that we stop at. And um, so when we're out there, tell, tell the patrons, you know, this area, this was the second division staging area right here uh, on the um, September 30th, uh, October 1st of 1918. So that's where the second division staged at. Yep. And uh, from there, that's when they started moving the 4th Brigade in the third brigade up online and then they had the second field artillery brigade which was the uh 12 15 17th field artillery uh had their batteries set up in that area there uh okay. right fire support for uh both both the maneuver brigades wow wow now how um so there's a there's a little story and i'll and um for listeners, like I, I won't skip it. Like it's going to be part of the narrative, but um, I don't, I don't think we should, we should skip, <laughs> we should lose this opportunity here. Um, so, 
Major General Lejeune, um, a Marine uh, in in charge of uh, of an Army division at the time. Um, that's yes. something something I remember from from my days in the in the Second Infantry Division when that was a pretty standout fact that it was one of the few Army divisions ever commanded by a Marine. Yes. Uh, so Lejeune. Oh, who is a like very well-known name. Like you don't know Marines, like you cannot come across anything with the Marines without pretty much hearing about Lejeune. Um, He's in charge of the division, but now he gets, he gets sort of tricked into this Blankmont operation, right? Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, What happened was it, 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 this is, it's a series of, of events that lead up to what happened there at Blankmont. So what happened was on Monday, uh, September 16th, the French High Command, they go to, you know, General Pershing because they've got problems going on up with the uh, campaign offensive with the French Fourth Army. Yep. So they they, re- they go up there and they request that, you know, can you loan us a couple divisions because we're having problems. So General Pershing agrees to loan out both the second and the newly arrived 36th Division. They just got into theater. Yeah, and Texas. Load them out to the French Fourth Army, yep. uh, which officially happens on Monday the twenty sixth. Then on Saturday, September twenty first, General Lejeune uh, receives notification uh, from, from from his corps because the division at that time had just come off the San Mihal offensive and they were at full uh, doing a rest and refit because they, they knew okay. they were going to have follow on operations, you know, coming yep. down the road. So um, he receives notification from the fourth commander that you're, you're going to be um, loaned out, most likely to the French. So um, then what happens is on Thursday, September 26th, Jean Lejeune meets um, uh, Henry Garot, who is the uh, you know commanding general for the French Fourth Army. Yep. And they have you know goes to his headquarters there at Chalon Samar. And they have a, you know, have a really nice, you know, get together and say, hey, you know, sir, you know, generals are here to report. Uh, what do you have, you know, for me? And at that time, um, you know, the generals, you know, I'll, I'll probably have something here for you, you know, here in the next couple of days. So just hang tight. Yep. And so they leave on good terms, you know, it, you know, good terms and stuff like that. And General Lejeune heads back to his, his divisional headquarters. Now the the next day, this is where, where, where the tragic part of this story goes into effect. Yeah. Well, Friday the twenty seventh, Colonel Henry, uh, J- yeah, Colonel uh, James C. Ray, who is uh, General Reserve's chief of staff, yep. uh, receives word that there's a rumor going around that once the second division goes to operational control of the Fourth French Army, that they're going to be broken up. Its brigades are going to be broken up and piecemealed out to the uh, the French divisions that are making up uh, part, you know, they're making up the fourth French army. Yeah. Uh, General Lejeune's not like, wait a minute, you just he just told me that you know nothing's going to happen here, so he rushes over to General uh, Gros' uh, headquarters again, and. He basically tells the general, say, sir, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a promise. If you don't break up my division, I'll take, you know, whatever objective that you have. 
Yeah, and wow. That and see, and Gerald Grow doesn't know, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and General Lejeune is like, oh, oh, I just put the cart before the horse. Yeah, and yeah. The French, yeah, the French, they're going to hold you to your word. So right. this is when the cat comes out of the bag where um, the French 21st uh, Corps, which is made up of, the, you know, the 21st, uh, 61st, and uh, – 170 French divisions, they're up yep. by Saint P, and they're having a hard time trying to get back the Blanc Montmassif, which the Germans have held in their possession for four years. Yeah, and they can't, you know, they can't take it because you know it's their 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 forward lines are literally out in the open, and if they move forward, they're going to get nailed. Yeah. So, and this is where the second division comes into play, and and that's where uh, General Lejeune, like I said, put the cart before the horse. And it's like, and, and then um, General Rose is going to hold him to his word. It's like, okay, here's your assignment, yo, and I'll cut your orders later down the road. So that and that's exactly what happened. And um, so what happens is, uh, when orders are. Uh, Oh, officially received uh, later that that day uh, for for the second division to begin its movement uh, towards the uh, Soren Swepps area, and yep. which is going towards um, um, like I said, Navarone Farm, and that's where they're going to go to the stage right there, and that's where things start, you know, things start going into effect. So wow. then on the, on the 30th of September, uh, like I said, that's where second division stages uh, out by Saint P. And they're, from there, they're designated fourth, uh, uh, fourth French Army Reserve. And the uh, General Lejeune reports to uh, Stanislas uh, Nulin, who is the uh, French 21st Corps commander, saying, yep. you know, hey, we're here. Yeah, what do you want us to do? And so that's when on the, uh, the next day, on, his, on the uh, 1st of October, um, General uh, uh Lens issues orders for Lejeune to start bringing his brigades up forward. So you have um, the French uh, 61st Division occupying Saint P, and they, you know, Fourth Brigade goes up into there on the uh, on the right flank, and Third Brigade comes in, uh, yeah, on the left flank, and then Second uh, Third Brigade comes in on the right flank, and they're tied in. So yeah, that, that's how, that sets the stage. Wow. And now for, for listeners, so the, the, um, the U S army, uh, uh, American expeditionary force, the second division, which still exists today as the second infantry division, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, I I know that I say that only because I know the army was kind of, they're kind of moving away from the, the whole divisional structure. But, uh, last, last I checked the two ID was still around. Um, so, in 1918, they they were pretty unique in that um, the second division was composed of both United States Army and uh, United States Marine Corps soldiers. So, yes. fourth brigade that Steve's talking about that's the Marine Brigade, and then the third brigade was made up of U.S. Army infantry. So you had you had grunts and 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 devil dogs serving alongside each other. So this is this is pretty pretty cool. I mean, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, real, real quick on that though, Mike. They the second division, like you said, was a very unique division, and they they were formed in Bourmont, France, uh, from 
when they're all they're all uh, in October of eighteen were or seventeen where they were all all together at Beaumont Training Area. So yep. then you had it, it was like I said, it's a very unique division because um, the third brigade, which was the ninth, the twenty third infantry regiments and the fifth machine gun battalion, that made up third brigade. Then the fourth brigade marine was the fifth and sixth marine regiments and the sixth machine gun battalion. And then you had the 2nd Field Artillery Brigade, which was the 12th, 15th, and 17th Field Artillery, and the 2nd Quarter Battery. Okay. And as the war progressed, uh, it's very unique because you had a Army division with both Marine soldiers and sailors in it. Yep. And, towards, and towards the end, when they were in occupation duty in Germany, in 18 and 19, uh, there there were Marines all over the division. And they were they were working with second engineers, they were working with Ryan River Patrol, wow. uh, division headquarters. You had uh, uh was it you had sailors, uh Navy pharmacist mates and uh and they, uh, naval doctors in division headquarters. I mean it was a very unique division. Wow. And it had a reputation as well because as like I said, after Bella Wood and Soissons, yeah, the German High Command they knew the Second Division, and they wow. were they rated them as uh, stormtroopers. And wow. whenever the Second they whenever the, they whenever the Second Division traveled and once they got into the sector, and the Germans knew that they were there, like stuff's about ready to go down, and <laughs> they did. Wow. And what's the other nickname is um, that the, the, within the division. Uh, they actually call it the racehorse division because you had third brigade and fourth brigade trying to outdo outdo each other. And oh, get out of never... and stuff like that. Oh, I never heard this before. Yeah, oh, this that was, wow. yeah it was called a racehorse division because third third brigade and fourth brigade they're always trying to outdo each other. But the thing is, though, they had um, they had a bond that would later re- go all the way into World War II. And wow. beyond that, so whenever I had the, the divisions association meetings, you know, you'd see General Cates or uh, Shepard, uh, you know, Army generals. Uh, they they all knew each other when they were younger, and though even though you know the the rivalry, you know, the inter service rivalry, you sure. know, between Army and Marine Corps that goes yeah. all the way. I said that goes back. To world. However, within the Second Division, they were they were always brothers. They always were there wow. for each other. That's they had some very, very strong bonds that couldn't be broken because that bond was was shed in blood. So right. actually, they're, they're a very unique division. They're probably one of the best combat divisions in France, hands down. They they really were. And that's not taking anything away from the third division as well. You know, yep. uh, because they had their hands full also. But uh, the, you know, probably the two best combat divisions, or actually in a category is probably the second, the 42nd, and the third division. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, um, I mean, if, if, from what I've gathered, uh, just, just looking at the, um, the casualties that second division took, like in its time at France, I mean, like they were, they were, I mean, we're about to talk a little bit here about blank Mont, but like they, they get bled out like more than once. Um, it's, it's, it's astounding. Yeah. They uh, would, um, to give an example, I'll give it, uh, was the fifth Marine regiment where yeah. they were hit so hard and they lost so many uh, 
officers, non-commissioned officers and enlisted uh, at the box on the morning and afternoon of Friday, October 4th, 1918. They wouldn't sustain that many casualties again until 1944 when they were on Peleliu, uh, wow. going against a bloody nose ridge. That's that's how bad it was. Wow. Wow. So so to get the there. And now and now this is this is where your great grandfather is at this time. In, well, actually, my, it's my great great uncle. Uh, great great uncle. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. And, he, and that's why when Blancmont's very special to me is because uh, I know we'll get into it, but um, he helped actually take S and Hook on the morning of October third uh, when the brigade was making its advance towards the uh, Massey. So, wow. so we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Yeah, but he was there, you know, uh, with, with, with 17th Company when they went in there to do their thing. So October 3rd, Battle for Blankmont begins. Now, right. did, um, one thing that um, one thing I'm, I'm actually a bit confused about, like at, at this moment, and I'm sure a little bit more reading will clear it up, but was it the, you know, no World War One battle starts without a, you know, a, a art, artillery prep? Was oh, it yeah. now? Did did the U.S. did they just do a quick five minutes, or did they pound oh, no, the no, Germans? No, no, no. Okay. Because um, by that time of the war, the Second Division had perfected their their uh, scheme of maneuver. Okay. So, okay. The jump off time was at zero five fifty. So yep. what happened was to give you a little bit of how how this played out was the night before uh, they made their uh, attack. Um, on Wednesday, on, on yeah, Wednesday, October second. What happened was is um, Colonel Harry Lee, who was the regimental commander. Once you got you know everybody in the position, they knew mm-hmm. about S and Hook. So what they did is they came down and said, "Hey, I need you to do you know have somebody push out a little bit, see what they, see what's going on." So um, what happened was is Second Lieutenant Edward C. Fowler. Uh, from the 2nd Platoon of the 78th Company, 6th Marines, they push out and um, they actually take the S and hook from the Germans, kick them out of there. And wow. they later on, they would hand it back to French, French 21st yep. Division. And so they go back and say, hey, you know, we you know, let's hire, no, uh, let, actually let's Captain Sellers or the 1st Lieutenant Sellers know, sir, hey, you know, we, we, Took the S and hook, we and we handed that off back to the French. So that way, it, it, it secures that area for us. So when we go in to do the attack the next morning, we won't be getting inflamed fire as we move out. Well, yep. unbeknownst to the brigade, and particularly the Sixth Marine Regiment, who was leading off, that the French actually lost it again. So the, the Germans kicked them out, and they reoccupied that position without, mm-hmm. you know, without anybody else knowing. So yeah. that night it actually rained, and um, it was a heavy uh, yeah it was a heavy downpour. And anyways, they had uh, after the rain stopped, there was a heavy layer of ground fog, and um, because they, they were getting everything into place, because the French they didn't want to tip their hand what, what was going on. So each of the assault battalions, because um, they give you the order of battle. Was you had six Marine regiments leading off, and you had uh, second battalion, six Marines, 
under uh, Ernest C. Williams, which was known as the Bull. Uh, then you had uh, one six uh, under uh, under Barker. Then you had uh, three, yeah, three six under Schuler. Okay. And each of these battalions had their, their supporting machine gun companies with them. Then the fifth Marines were going to come in behind them. And then you had two five under Master Smith. Then you had uh, three five under uh, Henry Larson. Then you had one five under George W. Hamilton, along with their supporting machine gun companies. Then on the third brigade sector, the ninth infantry was going to lead off. Then you had yep. one nine. Uh, yeah, one nine two nine three nine was their supporting machine gun companies from the fifth machine gun battalion, and the twenty third infantry was going to be their support. And they had uh, first battalion, twenty third, uh, third battalion, and uh, two two three behind them. So wow. that sets the stage, and they had supporting uh, light French FT seventeens uh, with them on the attack. Wow! So what happens is, like you said, with the artillery. Then on the morning of uh, Thursday, October 3rd, uh, the 12th Hill Artillery was supporting 4th Brigade, the 15th was supporting 3rd Brigade, and 17th, which was heavy, they were supporting whoever needed it. And so they, they jump off. And the only way, the, yeah, the only way and only reason why our guys got up there the way they did is mm -hmm. because uh, when they fired, the, 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 you know, the initial bombardment yeah i mean they were they were putting 75 rounds down like it was like it was nothing and you wow. had a walking barrage a rolling barrage they learned yep. their lessons from bella wood and swan Sunnel because mm -hmm. at the, the the division had to go back in there and uh re-evaluate their their processes they, if we're going to do an attack we've got to have artillery support laying it down then we'll advance it's exactly what it was it was a wall of steel coming down in front of them and then the infantry it was supporting machine gun companies would advance. Wow. And um, now, like I said, each of the assault battalions, the first two battalions actually had tanks with them, French tanks. But the problem was um, they actually got into the shell holes and got stuck. Oh. And, yeah. So you did have armor support there with them that morning. But the problem was, one, they couldn't see. And number two, they, they, they were, went into the shell holes. They got stuck. Yep. And yep. so... The you know the, the battalion, the regimental commanders for both the third and fourth brigades are like, no, nah, we're going. So that's exactly what happened. And the best way I can describe it to you, Mike, it was like a human wall, like a human wave hitting a rock. Wow. Hit. That's exactly wow. what it was like. So what happened to give you a give you on the third brigade sector side? So you had one five or actually one nine. First Battalion, 9th Infantry, you know, leading off. They 9th Infantry got hit hard. They did. So they're going through the bottom of the Vipers, and yep. they, they hit the hit the mass seat head on. Well, what's interesting is where the Sompi monument is. That's where Company A, First Battalion, 9th Infantry actually captured that 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 area right there. So that oh, and okay. what they did is the attacking battalions were in company in column. Battalion and column. So um, what they did is, so you had the first two companies come in, then the other, then the two supporting companies would come in and do a left oblique and tie in with them, 
And yep. then the second battalion would come in to the uh, would tie in with the um, um, with the with the companies on the left, and they would do the same thing. So you had tie in, you know, do an oblique tie in. So that's why you had one nine or the ninth infantry come in from Hill Two Ten, which is actually the Massif itself, out to Meneath Farm, and that's where Third Battalion Ninth Infantry was linked up at with the French One uh, Seventieth on their right flank. So wow. you have that going on. Then on the 4th Brigade sector, then you had 2nd Battalion, 6th Marines leading off, you know, and they go in and um, what if, for your uh, audience out there, if they go to yep. Blancmont, the actual, the junction point is actually the parking lot there at uh, South P. American Monument. That's oh, the wow. junction point or the meeting point for both the far left flank of the third brigade and the far right flank of um, the um, um, fourth brigade. So, and then, wow. and the two six did the same thing. So, you had the first two companies come in, link in, then you had the other two companies fill in between them and went all the way down. And for your listening audience, there's a, once you get to the parking lot, if you look on the left side, there's a French radar, uh, French military installation. On, on the far left, that's where the whole entire 6th Marine Regiment linked in at. And, wow. And then the 5th Marines were coming in behind the 6th. Now, what was supposed to happen was the French 21st Division, as soon as things were going, uh, were, were, were set in motion, they were supposed to advance as well. They yep. did. And yes, it did cause a lot of heartache for, for both the 4th Brigade and then the second division as a whole because it left that flank wide open. So the right. fifth Marines had to come in and kind of um, tie in with the sixth. So they're behind, you know, well, they're, they're tied in on the left flank of the sixth Marine regiment, but going down. So they're trying to keep, you know, protect that flank. So um, that, is, you know, while this is going on, um, while the attack is, you know, proceeding in the fourth yep. sector, the Germans are firing infilating fire on the advancing units of Sixth mm -hmm. Marine Regiment as they advance forward. So uh, General Lavelle uh, tells uh, gets a hold of uh, Colonel Phelan, who's the regimental commander for the Fifth Marine Regiment, says, "Hey, you got to get some guys in there right now to, and take this position out. If not, it's it's going to go off. It's going to get sidetracked. It's going to go off wow. the rails." Yeah. So then Hamilton gets gets the task because since they're the last ones in, in, in order of movement, he details uh, 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 First Lieutenant uh, Leroy P. Hunt, who's the commanding officer for the 17th Company. They, hey, I need you to go in there and take these guys out, which they actually did. So they had um, you know the 17th Company along with um, uh, supporting um, uh, machine gun company from the uh, uh, section from the 8th. Uh, machine gun company, which is the regimental uh, uh, machine gun company for the 5th Marines, and a couple, I think one or two three-pounders from the uh, regimental uh, one-pounder gun platoon. And they yeah. actually hold the hook while everybody wow. else is advancing. So that's, wow. so you, that's how that all played out. So, wow. now going back on to the 3rd um, Brigade sector, so the ninth is going, it's literally spread out from Hill 210 up to the Manny Farm Complex. So they're, they're, and, you know, they're 
they're locking horns. Now, the reading for the viewers out there, uh, for, 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 for your, your, your people that are listening to this, yep. the Germans had four years to fortify Blanc Mont Massy. I mean, this place was literally littered with reinforced, rebarred concrete emplacements. Wow. I mean, this place was literally it was one giant pillbox. That's wow. the best way wow. to describe it. And it took the individual soldier and the individual Marine with an O3 rifle or a show shot to go in there and literally dig these guys out. Wow. And it, that, it, it, there was no holds barred. Wow. Now, the, so while this is going on, like I said, over the 3rd Brigade, uh, one night's doing, you know, the 19th Infantry is in, in main contact. They're, they're, they're heavily engaged. The 23rd Infantry pushes past them to keep going. And yep. they get all the way out past the mass seat and they're going down down the reverse slope. And that's when st- resistance starts to stiffen up pretty bad on their end. And wow. um, the furthest unit that got out there was the 1st Battalion, 23rd Infantry. That's under Colonel Stewart. And they literally got stopped. And they're at, literally a salient out there in the middle of no man's land. <laughs> yep, with their yeah, flanks in the air. Yeah, they they did. They, uh, first, the 23rd Infantry, they, they got shot up pretty bad. They did. So, Colonel Stewart makes the call and says, hey, guys, we're going to stay put right here. We're just going to hold what we got. We're going to wait for the 4th Brigade to come up, tie in on our flanks. Then we'll be able to continue to push forward so the end. So, wow. um, like I said, that, there's a lot of his heroics that were done that day. Uh, yeah. To give an example, in the 17th company, uh, not the 17th company, but uh, the first Medal of Honor, we actually, it was actually simultaneous. And people always hear the story of either uh, John Kelly, yeah, uh, John Joseph Kelly. He was a, a little Irish kid, uh, Irish American kid from Chicago. Yep. And he had an attitude the size of Mount Everest and a tip on his shoulder to boot. <laughs> And he was yeah. a real piece of work, to say the least. I've actually, uh, I, I know some stories about, about him. And anyways, he was uh, uh, Lieutenant Sellers' runner. And he told everybody that he, what he was going to do that morning. And he, gonna run, <laughs> he literally did it and runs through, a, runs through a rolling barrage. Wow. Takes out a German machine gun nest, takes the prisoners back. Towards us, our lines through the goes through the rolling barrage. Doesn't get wow. a scratch. Gets the Medal of Honor. Now, while wow. this is going on, the same thing happened to a uh, young man from uh, New York City by the name, even a private by the name of Frank J. Bart. And yep. Frank J. Bart does doesn't get talked about either. But yet, Frank J. Bart did the same exact thing that John Joseph Kelly did. And he went, he did this, literally, did, literally did the same thing that, that Kelly did, where he runs, you know, runs to the barrage up near, near beneath farm, and takes out a bunch of bad guys and uh, kills kills the gunners. And uh, after that, um, he, he keeps going on. He takes out another German machine gun nest, ends up winning the Medal of Honor, not winning the Medal, but is awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions. Wow. And, the other one is over in the same thing up, up, up on top of the Mass C from the 78th Club. And that's John, uh, John H. Pruitt. And John H. Pruitt 
is um, the last Marine double recipient of the Medal of Honor. And oh, um, yeah, he's the la officially the last one. And um, what he did is, he, um, like I said, I think the position is over by, like I said, it's over by the French military uh, installation. But um, he, okay. he went in there and he attacks two um, German machine gun nests, captures and kills a couple of the enemy. Uh, actually, he, he uh, captured 40 uh, individuals in a dugout. So, wow. And he gets the Medal of Honor, but he ends up dying the next day. Right, right, right. Wow. Steve, can I, can I in yeah, interrupt you for a um, I just want to interrupt you for a second. So um, you you have been talking to us like down to the, the individual level. You've been talking to us about battalions, um, regiments, like yeah, um, sectors in the line. Are, are you currently using any notes or anything? Or No. You, this, <laughs> I no. didn't think so. So, no. folks, I, no. I knew that. that was, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So this is like. It's funny. You ask James White; he's actually seen me out where at Blockmont. James White will tell yeah. you. Yeah, he's like, no, uh, he's not using notes. And um, actually, one of the and Colonel Walt Ford, who is was um, the former editor for uh, Leather, Leatherneck Magazine. Okay. Uh, yep. Walt came out with us in November, and Walt and James will tell you he's not using notes. The only thing that I use is a map. That's it. That, wow, yeah. that's it. Wow, I I only know what you're talking about because I've been reading about Blank Month for the last three days. But um, but other than that, like it's just astounding, like it, it, uh, amazing, Steve, amazing. Like this is this is wild. Now, um, so, um, so October fourth, the 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 box. None. This this is a heavy day, uh, for the division. It's a heavy day. Uh, for the Marines, particularly uh, one, one five Marines, right, or or just the fifth Marine it's regiment? A, actually, the whole entire fifth Marine regiment. Okay. And, okay. Um, so what happens on the on the morning of October fourth? Okay. So the fifth Marine regiment, which is under the command of Logan Phelan, they they received their orders that they're 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 going to advance towards Saint-Pierre, and uh. Try you know and take, uh, you know take and hold uh, something in. Yep. And this is where a this is really where it really gets uh, messy. And this is where um, th this right here might where I have to tell you because this this action gets neglected by the Marine Corps and it okay. needs to be pulled. So what happens is is Fifth Marines begin their attack early on the morning, okay? And so you have 3-5, 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines under uh, Henry Henry Larson. They're, lead, they're pushing out. 2-5, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines under Robert E. Mastersmith is coming behind them. And 1st mm -hmm. Battalion, 5th Marines under um, um, George W. Hamilton. There's a third, third element. So they... Get their orders. They they push up and over the mass sea, and their 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 um, objective is to tie in with the first battalion, twenty third infantry, out out and, and they're sailing, tie in with them, and to continue the advance forward towards something in. 
And this is where it gets ugly, is mm -hmm. the, the Germans, you have to give the Germans credit. They're not stupid. They're not. Yep. And the, the Germans knew that they were, that, that something was about ready to happen. I mean, they had the French 21st Division pinned down. They, they, they took that to their advantage because they knew that the left flank of the, of the division was wide open. And um, so you had, you know, the, the 3rd Brigade, you know, engaged where they were at. The 5th is trying to link up with 1, 2, 3, and the rest of the 23rd Infantry to their front. And they took advantage of it. Yep. Now, what the interesting part about this, a lot of people don't know about this. This is finally going to come, come forward. That there was a uh, a narrow gauge railway line that ran from Sontien to Blancmont, and that's how they would uh, bring up ammunition, personnel, and food stuff like that. Okay, yeah. And there was a rail there was a railway you know, that narrow gauge railway embankment was on to the uh, uh, right hand side of which is now the D twenty three highway went towards okay. Sontien. And there was a German position, which is, plays a very significant part. That's the Ludwigbrücken. Okay, that's yep. Between Sontien and Bonkmark. So the Germans waited. They really did. They, they, they knew something was up. So, you know, fifth Marines advanced, and the, um, the Germans let them get to a certain point, and they just let, they opened up. Oh. I mean, they tore they tore the 5th Marine Regiment apart. They did. Wow. So, you know, 3-5 makes engagement. They're, they're down. You know, 2-5 is behind them. They get down. And 1-5 is coming in. And um, the Germans actually saw, they, they waited till the sun came, you know, the sun came up. Yep. And you have to, you have to imagine, Sultan is nothing but one giant toolbox. And yep. you had elements of, you know, the German Bavarian 32nd Regiment up in there, the 1st Bavarian Regiment up in there. You had, uh, uh, you know, you actually had two battalions of the 1st Bavarian Regiment up in there. The Sultan the, the is literally with machine guns. It literally is. Wow. And it's same with the Lubin Rukin. And what happened was, is the 3rd uh, Battalion of the three, uh, 368th, and the first battalion of the 149th uh, German regiments, they're off on the left flank. They waited till they got the fifth Marine regiment in their sights. And yep. when they did, they just unloaded. Mm. And um, they lost they lost a lot of Marines there. They did. Wow. They lost a lot. And this is what when when I say this, I want people to understand. I'm not taking anything away from those men that were there that day. And mm -hmm. I'm not, but there's a situation that happened that needs to be told, which never has never been told before. Is okay. dealing with the second battalion, fifth Marines, and that's dealing with Robert Masterson. Robert okay. Masterson was originally the company commander for uh, the 78th Company, Sixth Marines, which Sellers ended up inheriting, and he got hit at uh, the bottom of tone in Summit Hill, so he's evacuated out. He comes back to the brigade after he's released, and he's thinking he's going to go back to command the 78th Company. No, he's he's been promoted. Is he's going to command the Second uh, Battalion, Fifth Marines? It's like, uh oh, yeah. And um, 
I actually have Leroy P. Hunt's account of what happens, and there's some things that never got put into the Texas Business Business History. And I okay. actually found this. I had this. So what happened, like I said, three fives engaged, uh, two fives engaged. They're, they're bearing the brunt of it. One fives coming swinging in behind, and that's when they actually two something two five starts to literally bolt off the field, and it, it did happen. And okay. yeah, and that that never gets talked about. I think that's one of the reasons why they don't really talk about Blockmont that much. And okay, uh, because uh, like I said, what happened was is you know when when the commanding staff for one five. You know, they're seeing Marines coming back towards them. You know, Leroy Hunt, uh, Hamilton, you know, some of the senior NCOs, they actually, you know, threw their pistols out and told them to get back in line. They did. Because if they didn't hold that line, they would the whole entire 5th Marine Regiment would have been wiped out. They did. And that that really did happen. And I do get into heated, you know, arguments Yo, with Marines, like, oh my God, it didn't happen. Yeah, it did happen. It did. And it wow. hadn't been for, like you say, with Hamilton, Hunt, and, and others doing what they needed to do, that the entire 5th Marine Regiment would have been wiped out. So wow. the 5th had to sit, sit there and take it for a whole day. They couldn't advance. You know, they, they couldn't tie in with the 23rd. They, they I think some of them did. But to give you how bad the box was, because remember, you're getting fire from the left flank, the front, yep. and right oblique. You're getting it from three sides. You you couldn't put your head up without it having a bullet go through your brain. That's how yeah. bad it was. Wow. And wow. there's an account where uh, the 8th Machine Gun Company, which is the Regimental Machine Gun Company for the 5th, they had 16 guns when they went in uh, on the morning of the 4th. By the afternoon, they only had one operational gun left. Either the wow. crews were either killed or wounded. That's it. That's wow. all they had left. God. And, and that was yeah, it, it, it was that bad. Wow. And this is the just the the second day, really, of of the battle. Yeah, this was the second day. Wow, man. And this and now this goes on. So so blank. So end of end of October fourth, um, the Fifth Marine Regiment, if if I'm not mistaken, like they're yes. they're they're pretty much combat ineffective but they're, they're still they're, on the field right they they were they they were annihilated because wow. what happened they they were uh it it's almost mirrors what happened four months prior to the sixth marine regiment uh when they made their advance uh to the sugar Beet fields there at, uh, outside of Bayerzi. and okay the entire sixth marine regiment was gone within 40 minutes wow, they were man. Wi- gone wiped out Wow. And same thing would happen with the fifth here. So the fifth got their turn in, in, in the pickle bell. And wow. like I said, they were, they were literally gone. They were wiped out. So the survivors actually had to go hang tight. So they, they, um, they actually sent um, folks to get back up there. The regimental headquarters, actually the brigade headquarters, and let, let them know, it's like, hey, you know, the Germans, they hit us hard and we can't advance any further. So we're stuck. Wow. 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 Now, um, so this, this battle like continues on. Um, 
like the, pretty much it, it runs from uh, October 3rd through about, I think, a, a, what is it, about the, the 8th, 7th or 8th when, when 2nd yeah. Division gets relieved? The 10th. the 10th of October. Yeah, but, um, and now, in, and that's, 2ID is, is involved in that um, the whole time, right? Are they're, they're in operational control of the battle, even though. Yeah, they are. Now, uh, the other part that, like you said, that doesn't get, these guys don't get mentioned a lot too, is that's the 71st Brigade of the 36th Division. And um, they were the first brigade uh, to get up there. And the 71st Brigade consisted of uh, uh, soldiers from, they, they were National Guard from Texas and Oklahoma. Yep. And that was the 141st and 142nd uh, Infantry Regiments and the uh, 132nd Machine Gun Battalion. And uh, they had, the rest of the brigade or the rest of the division was coming up, but the 71st, once they arrived uh, on, on the 5th, because uh, on the 5th of October, uh, General Lejeune, they were at the disposal of General Lejeune until the commanding general of the 36th, you know, relieved, you know came up and relieved Lejeune. So yep. what General Lejeune did, uh, now what they did first off on the 5th of October, um, uh, uh, they got the 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines to go in and try to uh, establish contact with the 23rd, link up with them, but also get the survivors of the 5th Marine Regiment out of the box. They were done. Wow. They, were, they were gone, which wow. they did. So, uh, so 3-6, you know, establishes contact, links up with the 23rd. They slowly begin their advance, but they're getting hammered at the same time. So they had to hold with what they got. You know, you got to remind you, the six, the, you know, they're already spent because they're already fighting uh, up, you know, past uh, two, three, you know, yeah, past two days fighting and clearing the, you know, Germans out of the Massif. Yeah. And yeah. so they're, they're, they're hurt. So once the 71st Brigade arrived on site, General Lejeune says, okay, here, you know, you know, I'm going to, you know, you're, the 141st, you're going to go over to um, the 3rd Brigade sector. Uh, 142nd, you're going to go over to 4th Brigade sector. And that's exactly what they did. So, um, you know, they, 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 they link up. They meet, they meet up with elements of the 6th, 6th Marines. And that's when they assume the, 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 um, the offensive part of the battle for the 2nd Division. Yep. And that's when they go ahead and they push, push on. Wow. Wow. Why is like so? I think you you explained part of the reason why just a few minutes ago. But why has Blank Mont been so largely forgotten? Like even even with Marine Corps history, it's because of the cat. There's a number of things that went wrong, and okay. um, like you said, dealing with what happened with the Fifth Marine Regiment. Um, you know, you know the bloodbath that happened at the box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the heavy fighting that that continued with some hand. You know, it, it's it's just one of those battles that's just really just been forgotten about, and it's yeah. no one really knows about it. Yeah, yeah. I I um I I don't I don't think I ever encountered the name Blank Mon until like a couple of years ago, and it was like. Wow, really? Like, um, wasn't until I I myself picked up the uh, the a- ABMC book, the uh, Battlefields of Europe, um, right? Uh, and it was like, um, 
like, wow, you're, you're kidding. And, 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 you know, like just recognizing that there's a monument out there. So obviously it had great meaning at the time. And, and in the immediate aftermath of that battle, it, it meant a lot that, that the United States government built a huge monument there, you know, to, yeah. to recognize its soldiers. And now, you know, to now to like, you know, you, you, again, like you hear about World War One, and yeah, you, there's there's a few American stories if if you hear about World War One at all. So it's like, like wow. So this this is an amazing story. So um, when two ideas finally pulled out of the line, like about about how many casualties did they have? Had had they taken at that point? Oh God, the the, the, the casualties alone were unbelievable. Um, like I said, you, you, you know, the Marine Regiment is is literally they're they're gone. Wow. You know, the 9th Infantry, they're, they're, they're shot. They're, you know, the 23rd Infantry is shot. Matter of fact, to give you an example of what happened with the 23rd, uh, what was it? I think on the October 5th, 3rd Battalion, 23rd Infantry was going to try to advance past the 1st Battalion. If they didn't, and these guys didn't even get, not more than maybe about maybe a couple meters, and they got drilled hard. Wow. And, and, and everything got stuck, got put on hold. And it, wow. it, 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 it was it was pretty bad. And um, the casualties alone, oh my God. Oh God, what was it? I think, if I remember, I think that the, 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 just the two brigade maneuver brigades itself, they suffered anywhere between 50 to 65% casualties. Wow. 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 And, and now we're, yeah. Wow. And now we're talking American divisions here, which are, you know, which came in at about 28,000 strong. So 50 to 60%, you know, 50, 65% of just the maneuver brigades. I mean, you're talking a lot of guys. So this yeah. is a heavy, heavy battle. Well, uh, one of the other things is that um, people don't know about in the um, second division, you know, and particularly the, um, um, the rifle companies, they anticipated what was going to happen. And this, this reverberated back to what happened at Bellwood and Swasson, where okay. um, what they did is um, each of the companies left behind what was called a 20%. So if you had a private or an NCO that had been already been through at least minimum of two combat engagements, say Bellwood mm -hmm. and Swasson, they left him behind, and um, each company had a 20% left behind. They were going to be the nucleus to rebuild the company. They already anticipated that many losses. Wow. Wow. Imagine that kind of thinking, folks. Wow. Wow. So Knowing that's exactly that what, and that's exactly what they were doing, Mike, was you know, some of these uh, units that were like deep, they were, were coming in into France um, as, you know, whole, whole you know, you know, battalions and companies or whatever, they were literally taken away from that particular division and in bulk assigned to say, you know, you, you guys are now part of the 3rd Battalion, 9th Infantry. You guys are now K Company. That's exactly wow. how it went. You're not wow. National Army anymore. You're a regular Army. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow, man. Wow. Now, the, now the interesting thing is I wanted to touch base on this also. Um, yep. What happened was is once – on the fifth, of, no, on, the, on the night of the sixth, going into the seventh of October, that's where the elements of the seventy-first uh, Brigade, you know, assumed and took, you know, took uh, the offensive role. 
And um, the other part where it really gets nasty is um, in in Sofiens, where you had um, uh, what was it? The uh, one yeah, one forty second infantry. You know, they went in there and, and they attacked uh, Sofiens and Blondot's Hill, and the Germans weren't giving that town up for anything. And wow. that never that never gets talked about either. And that town. And particularly the cemetery, that cemetery, the, the cemetery is just south of town. It, you, when you're on, on, when you're driving down the D23, you actually go right past the cemetery on the right hand side. And, okay. Um, it's right there. It hasn't changed much at all, it, wow. except uh, the, the wall wasn't there in 18. Um, I actually have a picture of what the cemetery actually looked like. Okay. And the cemetery itself, that thing changed hands at least six to eight times. And there were so many American and German bodies in there uh, that you could not actually touch the ground. Wow. And um, and between the cemetery and Blood Knots Hill, that's where uh, two corporals, uh, uh, Corporal Harold Turner, uh, who was in uh, Company F, 2nd Battalion, 142nd, and uh, Corporal Samuel Sampler, who was in uh, Company H, 2nd Battalion, 142nd. That's where they received the Middle of Long Jack. Wow. And what's wow. interesting is, is uh, and I got to lay this on, is Sam Sampler uh, did, did uh, I, this is a coincidence, he did the same exact thing on the same exact date that PFC Alvin C. York did. I'm not oh. making that up. He really did. Um, they they were in the attack, and um, what was it? He, uh, if you if you, your folks can go online and look him up, you'll mm -hmm. see uh, Sam Sampler's Medal of Honor citation. And if you okay. look at it, 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 it it's a it's a coincidence. He did the same exact thing that Alvin York did, but yeah, you don't something? hear anything on him. It's wow. very interesting. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So he'll, he'll definitely, all, all of these, um, medal of honor, uh, recipients, they'll, they'll, um, they're, they'll be in the episodes coming up for sure. Yeah. So, so that'll be really cool. Yeah, so, wow. so, and then, uh, what was it? So on the 8th of October, it was, uh, or actually on the, let me back that up for a day on the 7th of October, uh, you know, because you know, the 71st, this is our first time in combat. It's the first time I have to shoot. And, you know, things don't go according to plan. So mm -hmm. that's when um, they bring up uh, the 1st Battalion, 6th Marines, to assist them, along with elements of the 4th Machine Gun Battalion and 2nd Engineer Regiment. Okay. To help these guys out. And uh, once, you know, once these guys got, you know, got over the gunshot part of it, they, they took it to the enemy. And they were, you know, they were really good at what they did. And like I said, the, the, the 36th Division, they need to, their story needs to be told as well. Okay. Wow. Now, Steve, there's there's a little something right now. Um, the Marines are like you said, they're they're called up to help these these new troops kind of get get acclimated. Um, right. now, now I hear the the these these Texas and Oklahoma boys, these troops, like they had something new with them that the Marines very, very quickly tried to relieve them of. Like, what? Oh, <laughs> Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that. <laughs> okay. So 
here's the story on that one. This this is really really happened. Okay, so the 36 division being brand new arrived at the theater because they you know stateside. They finally you know they're the, one of the first units in the army. They get the M1918 Browning automatic rifle, the BAR. Yep, the BAR yeah. that's famous in in World War II mainly, but it was yes. introduced in World War One. Yeah, this is a brand new weapon system. General Pershing already knew about it. There were some units that had it in France. He didn't want to commit it to combat just yet because he was General Pershing was paranoid that it would fall into enemy hands and they would, you know, take it to their advantage and produce their version of it. Yeah, reverse engineering. So, yep. but anyways, so when the one seventy first arrives in theater. You know, and you know the Marines, the only in soldiers of you know the Second Division, the only thing that they had for automatic weapon wise was their M nineteen fifteen show shots. Yep, which was a good weapon if you cleaned it. It was it was a very good weapon. Yep. So, anyways, <laughs> the Sixth Marine Regiment, particularly uh, one six, uh, they so they're supporting the uh, the the one forty second and. So they had a little bit of downtime, and, you know. Of course, you know how soldiers and Marines are. Like, you know, you got these, you know, combat hardened Marines in there. They're like, hey man, hey, can I, can I see your rifle there? It's like, yeah, hey, you know, they, it's like, hey, can I, can I use it for a little bit? Hey, knock yourself out, man. So <laughs> they, they, these Marines, they, they kill over their, their, their piece of crap, uh, uh, show shots, show, yeah, show shows or yeah, show shot to the. Uh, the soldiers and they take the Browning automatic rifles from and they're they're going to town. It's like for them, it's a new toy. They're, I mean, they're <laughs> going to town. So uh, eventually, on the tenth uh, of October, when um, the thirty uh, sixth uh, division officially assumes responsibility of, of sector and and relieves the second division, uh, they're 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 in, they're finally pulled off the lines. Six, you know, first battalion, six Marines is. So they're, yep. they're walking back. This is a true story. This really happened. So General General Lejeune comes out from his uh his he's at his post of command there in Saint P. Yep. And um he's right there off the uh, Saint P Saint Road. So he's watching his men come off the ridge line, and uh he he noticed something. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not. Wait a minute, wait, stop. And <laughs> he, he sees these Marines. Uh, uh, that belong to him, you know, carting these Browning automatic rifles off, you know, on their shoulder. And he said, no, 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 stop. Take those weapons back. You give them back to who they belong to. You go get your weapons and uh, you'll get yours. You, you know, you'll get yours when you get them, which they eventually did a couple of weeks later. Uh, yeah. Outside of Axermont. But yeah, that's the story of how the Marines actually first saw the Browning automatic rifle. For the very first time, and that was at yeah. uh, outside of Salt Lake. That's a trip. That's a trip. Awesome, Steve. Uh, I've got to say, man, I, uh, I, I, I hope that uh, someday, like, uh, if if uh, one one way that we can cross pass over in France is that uh, as as I wrap up one of my tours, <laughs> I can I just imagine uh, like just turning to uh, Rob Laplander and maybe telling him, like, hey, man, I'll I'll see you in a couple of days because. I'm about to go be one of one of Steve's uh, uh, guests here because uh, this has just been an amazing talk, like just so so in depth. And I I, I think listeners here will will definitely 
understand like what kind of experience they'll have with you uh, when they when they get over to uh, get over to France. Um, when, you know, once once we're back able to travel. So this this is amazing. Uh, I really look forward to uh, digging into Blankmon and, and getting it out on the podcast. Um, yeah. And awesome that we have this talk here. Um, that can go out right now, so folks can already start to learn about it and and remember this this battle. Uh, well, and, and I want to thank you, Mike, for bringing me on and oh uh, for your yes. listening audience. The, the the if they want to learn more about the the Battle of Blancmont Ridge, um, I would highly recommend that you can go online and uh, there's a PDF version of the a, the monograph that was uh, written by. Um, uh, both um, Colonel Pete Owens and John Swift, and uh, the maps were done by uh, um, Colonel Bill Cody, and the the, uh, the whole entire thing was scrubbed by me before it went to print. And um, I, I tell the listening uh, viewers out there, if you really want to learn more about this battle, please pick up the monograph. It'll go more into depth and telling the story, at least from the Marine side of, of it. On what happened, you know, during the first, you know, couple, you know, first week or two in October of eighteen, so that way they yeah. understand, you know, what it, what transpired there and why the memory of everybody that fought there should be remembered. Yep, and I'll put um I'll put a link to uh, uh Pete Owens um uh, a hideous uh excuse me uh, a hideous price is the name of that monograph and I'll I'll link to it in the episode notes so um, folks can go right to it and they can download it and and read it on their own yeah. so that's because that's an excellent resource. Mike, there's one thing I like to do. I want to do a couple shout outs if I keep it my yeah of um, course please. I owe my deepest sincere gratitude to Pete. John, Kevin, uh, the late George B. Clark, Mike Miller, Gilles, uh, also out in France, uh, Mr. Bruce Malone, superintendent of Mers Argonne Cemetery. Uh, last but not least, uh, Mr. or retired Sergeant Major uh, Burke Cloud, superintendent of Wazian. Uh, American Cemetery. See you soon, Bert. Uh, like I said, the Gilles. Miss you, buddy. And um, also to my, my late father, who gave me the gift of history and the passion that went along with it. I love and miss you. And last but not least, I have to say to a very special group of individuals, and they know who they are, and they're my adopted daughters, per se. Uh, to my malcontents, thanks for all the love and support. I love you, girls. All right? That's awesome. 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 Steve, thanks so much for coming on. And, and uh, again, thanks so much for the time. And this has been great. So, um, yeah, thank, thank you so, so much. What a, what a wonderful conversation. And, uh, and also to yeah. Robert. I forgot to say, mention Robert also. That too. So You got it. Hey, but like I said, if, if all else fails, you know, we meet in Paris, Harry's Bar over by the Opera House. You got it. You got it. Very good, Steve. Thanks again. Thanks again, Mike. Cool. All right.